0: Welcome back to Fair Territory, week two of our show on YouTube, podcast everywhere. We've got a lot to talk about this week, and we're going to start with the team that is the hottest team in baseball, one of the hottest teams in recent memory to start the season. That, of course, would be the 9-0 Tampa Bay Rays. So you might ask, how are they doing this? Well, I've got a number of reasons listed in our athletic newsletter today. That's a new thing we've got out subscription, but free. So don't have to worry about paying. And here are the reasons that I listed some of them. One obviously is the schedule. Tampa Bay has played, let's face it, in order, Detroit, Washington, and Oakland, three of the worst teams in the game. That helps a lot. And their schedule is going to continue to be relatively easy through the month of April. But all that said, speaking to someone in baseball this week, an executive with another team, he said, listen, Yes, it's an easy schedule, but they've got to win those games. And as they win those games, they gain confidence. So it all works hand in hand. And we see all season long teams that go into series that appear to be very easy for them, and they don't win them. Sometimes they collapse in those series. They play poorly. Tampa Bay is not doing that. Other reasons. Well, home runs. They've hit 24. Last year, this team was 25th in the league in home runs. This year, obviously, their first 24 home runs in nine games. It's a ridiculous pace. They won't keep it up, but that's something that they're doing that they weren't doing last year. Something else, injuries. Now, last year, as Britt Garoli points out in her story in The Athletic Today, this was one of the most injured teams in baseball. Right now, they're relatively healthy. It's making a difference. And two guys in particular that are healthy, Wander Franco, who played in only 83 games last year, And Randy, Mr. Sunshine, or Rosarena, well, why do I call him Sunshine? Because he's shining even in April now, as opposed to October or the WBC. Even when the lights aren't brightest, Randy's killing it right now. So the stars are playing like stars. That helps. They're also getting contributions from two guys who really aren't stars, left-handed hitters, outfielders, that we didn't really hear much about before. Josh Lowe is one, Luke Raley is another. And of course, then you go to the pitching. The starting pitching, 1.90 ERA, leads the majors. Yes, the competition is inferior, but the Rays love the way they're executing. So you put all of these factors together, and you have a 9-0 start to the season. It's fairly amazing on a number of fronts. The Blue Jays are good. The Yankees are good. The Orioles are good. It's not going to be easy for Tampa Bay once the schedule gets a little bit more difficult. But so far, man, that's an impressive start to the season. Now, as we continue this morning, I want to talk about their 1998 expansion twins, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Another team that has started very well, not quite as well as Tampa Bay, but 6-4 against two powerhouses in the NL West, the Los Angeles Dodgers and the San Diego Padres. They've already won as many games against the Dodgers as they did all of last season. That would be five. So how are they doing it? Stolen bases, aggressiveness, athleticism, that's one thing. They're 17 for 18 in stolen bases so far. They are playing with a little bit of an edge because they can. They're that kind of team. Also, when you look at the Arizona Diamondbacks, you've got to look at their pitching, which I still believe is somewhat suspect. With Ryan Nelson in the rotation and Dre Jamison now going to join him because Davies is on the injured list, it's an impressive-looking group. Now, there are questions. Bumgarner, of course, is a huge one, but I like the two kids. Their bullpen, is it improved? Do I trust it entirely? Well, every year I seem to fall in love with the Diamondbacks, and their people have now told me to stop writing about them early in the season after they play well. They feel it's some kind of jinx. I don't know why. But this is a very athletic team. Corbin Carroll is one of the more exciting players in the game. Longoria is a stabilizing force now that he is aboard. They've got the trade pieces that they acquired, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Gabriel Moreno. I just sort of like the way they're going about it, and they are playing with a belief, not just a hope. And the way they pounded the Dodgers these last two games, that is something that is pretty impressive and something that they can build on for sure. Now, one other topic we want to hit in this first topic segment, Brian Reynolds you might have noticed he hasn't signed an extension yet. Maybe he won't sign an extension. The home opener, which was supposed to be the time when people thought this would get done, it has come and gone. Now, the Pirates offered Reynolds, according to reports, eight years, including this one, $106.75 million. The talks broke down, according to Rob Beardenville of The Athletic, because there was no opt-out clause included. Now, you might say, on one hand, Hey, hundred million dollars. What's this guy's problem? Why isn't he taking it? And you might say, on the other hand, uh, excuse me, it's reasonable for him to ask for an opt out clause after a fourth year of an eight year deal when the pirates can't exactly be trusted to build around him. If you're a team like the pirates and you don't pay top dollar, and by the way, this is not a top dollar deal for Brian Reynolds, then you have to maybe do some other things given other areas. You can't take this stance. Huh? We're not going to give opt outs. Sorry. It doesn't work like that. So for Reynolds, who was off to a blazing start, he already in this deal would have been taking below market dollars. Why not wait two more years to get the free agency or at least for the pirates to improve their offer and extension when you're in really good position. That seems to be where this is right now and Opt-outs are never good for teams. I'll acknowledge that. Basically, if the player succeeds, he's going to opt out. If he fails or gets injured, he's going to stay and keep collecting his money. But in a backloaded deal like this one was, it seems to me to be a reasonable compromise. I don't know why they can't get there. One estimate by Tim Britton of The Athletic is that this guy could make $133 million in an extension right now in a fair market type of situation. He is $25 under that with the Pirates offer. It's a good amount. So, red-hot Diamondbacks, red-hot Rays. Brian Reynolds still not signed. We'll keep going as we continue with fair territory. All right, time for the inside dish. This is a segment in which I go inside a story I have written, perhaps. Not going to do that this week. It also is a segment in which sometimes I will talk about something that is bugging me. And there is something that is bugging me, as often is the case with our wonderful sport, which I love, when things happen. And what has happened, well, it really was happening in March, but it's still on my mind, so I want to get to it today. In March, during the WBC, and before, people were saying, fans, and people with clubs too, oh my gosh, we don't want our guys going to the WBC. They might get hurt. It's a huge risk. You don't want them out of the team's control, not for one minute. I thought it was bogus to say that then, and I think it's bogus to say that now, even knowing what happened, of course, unfortunately, to Edwin Diaz, that freak injury, and Jose Altuve, an injury that a broken thumb obviously could have taken place in spring training. I'm not downplaying those injuries. If I'm a Mets fan, yes, I'm upset. If I'm an Astros fan, I am very upset as well. But at the same time, what gets discounted here, what never gets talked about by club people and by fans is the fact that because these guys got ready earlier, they had to get ready earlier to play intense competition in mid-March, maybe it's enhancing their performance. And we're actually seeing that happen throughout baseball right now. Now it's not universal, but I want to show you some things, just some statistics about some of the players who have performed in the WBC and what they are doing in the early part of this season. Let's start with some offensive players led by Mike Trout, but not including just Mike Trout. These are guys who rank all in the 25, top 25, in OPS in Major League Baseball right now. That list includes Luis Robert Jr. Doesn't include Yoan Moncada, who is also hot, Paul Goldschmidt, Paul Peter Alonso. All these guys, Trey Turner, a number of them, who are off to really good starts. Gleber Torres, he's benefiting as well. We're seeing this on a number of fronts, a Rosa Reina, Jimenez from the Guardians, you can name a number of players. Now, you might say, Ken, these are some of the best players in the game. Of course they're going to be playing well, but there is a pattern here. And yes, there are exceptions, but let's look at some of the pitchers as well. Some of the pitchers who are performing at an extremely high level after pitching, oh my gosh, in the WBC. Well, that list is pretty prominent too. Kyle Freeland, Marcus Stroman, Julio Urias, who has added a cutter in the regular season. That might be why he's pitching better now than he was even for Team Mexico. Patrick Sandoval, who looked great in the WBC. And of course, Sandy Alcantara, the reigning NL Cy Young winner and one of the best pitchers in the game. Again, it's not universal. Miles Michaelis, not off to a great start in St. Louis. We've seen some others too. Lance Lynn is not pitching particularly well for the White Sox. I'm not saying this is a direct correlation. What I am saying is that this can be, as I mentioned earlier, a benefit, something that gets players going, gets them in shape earlier. And I also have a suggestion for the WBC that might even enhance this effect further, and that would be to push it back a little bit, right up to the edge of the start of the regular season. So what you would have is maybe the WBC from March 20th to March 30th, something like that. You do that, you maybe get some more starting pitchers involved. And at that point, you've got maybe the ultimate in what you want to see. The best players playing. You'll have players peaking at around the time they should be peaking. It just seems to me something, a tweak that could be made here to really take this event from what it was this year, which was pretty darn good, to an even higher level. So again, my final point on this, back off the WBC. And I'm saying that to clubs too. Clubs, oh my gosh, we can't have our guys playing. They won't be protected. Really? How good a job do clubs do at protecting their players from injury? Just look at the injured list. Every single day is something else. Now some of the things are unavoidable. O'Neal Cruz, obviously, maybe that's unavoidable. Could have slid earlier, who knows? But a lot of injuries take place. A lot of injuries take place, even with all the great training, nutrition, and conditioning we hear about from the clubs, the sports science, all these brilliant things happening. And yet, players still don't seem to stay healthy. It's not the WBC's fault. It's just the way the game is. All right, we turn now to fair or foul. Here is one of our producers, Claudia Olson, who is going to ask me a few questions. Claudia,
1: fire away. Hey, Ken. All right, let's get it started. Fair or foul. Nolan Arenado is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, Aaron Otto hit a homer on Saturday, becoming the eighth player to reach 300 homers and has 10 gold gloves. Everyone else with 10 gold gloves and 300 homers is in the Hall of Fame except Andrew Jones. So fair foul that he is one.
0: Fair. And Andrew Jones actually should be in the Hall of Fame. I vote for him every year. Claudia, I don't need to spend a lot of time on this one. Nolan Arenado is a first ballot Hall of Famer. He is one of the great players of our generation. And actually he seems to keep getting better. So yes, fair for sure. Nice.
1: Yeah, I think his birthday's coming up and his 10 year anniversary in the big leagues. So it's big for him this month. All time. right. Um, all right, fair foul. The Giants are in trouble. They're four and five on the season, just lost two of three games at home against Kansas City.
0: I wouldn't say they're in trouble, foul on this one. And they're a weird team. They've had a little bit of an unusual start didn't play so well against the Yankees, played great against the White Sox, and then stumbled against the Royals somewhat. They have a lot of power. They have starting pitching depth. They're a team that I don't believe is as good as the Dodgers and the Padres, and maybe not even the Diamondbacks. But they're a competitive team, and I see them at right around 500, maybe up to 85 wins.
1: All right, Ken, fair or foul, respect Minnesota's starting pitching. They're second in the league in ERA. Sonny Gray had 13 Ks versus Houston and they took two out of three against the Astros this weekend. Fair foul?
0: Fair. I respect their starting pitching. I'm not quite sure it's gonna be this good all season long, but Sonny Gray, that was an amazing start. Pablo Lopez has pitched well. They've got Molly, they've got Maeda, they've got Joe Ryan. It's a pretty presentable group. Now, this team is quite interesting. They're one of the teams to watch, in my opinion. Correa has done nothing at this point, or not much at all, but they've gotten a lot from Kyle Farmer, They're an interesting club offensively. They can be much better than they've been. And yes, they're starting pitching so far, quite good. Fair.
1: Very fair. Awesome. Thank you, Ken. I will say, see you later, and we will do it again soon.
0: Thanks, Claudia. Okay, we go now to a recurring segment on this show, one that I started in Baltimore when I was a radio talk show host many, many years ago. It's the Dude and Dork of the Week. Now, back in Baltimore, I used to just do Baltimore guys for the most part. But now we do all of baseball. So let's start, as we always will, with the dude of the week. That would be Andrew McCutcheon of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Now, did he have the highest war of the week, the highest opiate? I don't care. This is not what that is about. It's kind of like an MVP. Subjective. Andrew McCutcheon is the dude of the week because of the way he embraced Pittsburgh and the way Pittsburgh embraces him. We saw it Friday when he returned home for the first time, got a huge ovation as he stepped to the plate. You saw his emotion. He said he was trying not to cry, but he has a great feeling for that city, and it showed on that day. And Kutch, well, he was an MVP in 2013. Obviously, he's not the player he once was, but to see him come back to that team, in that market, in that time in their history, when they're still rebuilding, That part was cool, the way he handled that was cool, and oh, by the way, just so you know, the umpires are allowed or basically given instructions on special moments like that to cool it with the clock, let it flow, and that's exactly what they did. We'll see that in other circumstances as the year goes on. Now, the dork of the week. Now, I'm not gonna give it to an owner every week, okay? I probably could, but we're not gonna play that game. But this week, After the Oakland A's performance against Tampa Bay in which they were outscored 31-5, to step right up, John Fisher. You are the dork of the week. You're the Oakland Athletics owner. Your payroll is, I don't know, $56 million by one estimate, $59 million by another. Either way, however you stack it up, it's the lowest in the majors. Justin Verlander and Brandon Nimmo combined are making more for the Mets. Max Scherzer and Starling Marte combined are making more for the Mets as well. And Mr. Fisher, you get what you pay for. This team did very, very little in the offseason. Drew Rusinski, the Japanese pitcher for Janami. I led Ms. Diaz. I can go on, but really, why even bother? The A's have some interesting young players. Langoliers is one. Asturie Ruiz is another. Kyle Muller coming over in the trade, the three-way trade in which Ruiz was acquired as well, the Sean Murphy trade, of course, seems to be off to a really good start. But that said, this is a team that if you give them a little bit of money, you give David Forrest and Billy Bean a little bit of money, over the years, they've been able to compete. Six postseason appearances in a span of nine years in the 2010s. They did three in a row in one stretch and three in a row in another. They're capable, but you have to give them some degree of resources. John Fisher has not. What his motives are with the stadium situation, with Las Vegas, I don't know but this team, frankly, right now, it's embarrassing. John Fisher, Dork of the Week. All right, now for our look-ahead segment in which we look ahead to the game I'll be doing for Fox this week and also discuss some other topics of interest. The game I'll be doing for Fox actually is looking like a really good one. It's Brewers at Padres. I'll be flying to San Diego later this week. Padres coming off that great series against the Braves. They played really well. And the Brewers, well, they've played really well all season. So we could be looking at a postseason preview. But before I fly out there, I want to answer some fan questions. We've got some really good ones this week. I want to thank you guys on Twitter for sending along some really intelligent queries. And let's start with the first fan question this week. And here it is. It comes from Christopher Vernick, And Christopher asks, with the new rules working spectacularly, do you think there's any chance MLB would consider ditching the three batter minimum rule now that it's quickly becoming an unnecessary relic. Christopher, well said, but I asked this question a couple of weeks ago because I had the same thought and was told no, not yet, because what the league wants is starting pitchers going deeper into games. They also do not want to go back to a day when there is increased specialization among relievers. And what I mean by that is, of course, the matchups where you get left, left, right, right, No, they want more opposite side matchups, and you get those from the three batter minimum. Also, with relievers so dominant, yes, you want to reduce their advantage over the hitter. That's part of the idea of the three batter minimum in the first place. Now, if baseball ever goes to a 12-pitcher maximum, they're at 13 right now, you could see the rule go away then because it would be an unnecessary relic at that point with 12 man staff, you'd have to have starters going deeper into games and you'd accomplish what you're trying to accomplish in part with this rule. Good question, thank you for that one. Here's the next question. Are the Cubs going to be sneaky decent? That comes from Logan P. Logan, I wish I knew the answer to that. I know if you're a Cubs fan, that is your hope. For it to happen, you've gotta have a number of things happen. One, they've gotta play well defensively, something they didn't always do on Sunday. At times, they've looked quite crisp and quite good, especially with Swanson and Horner up the middle. You've got to get respectable starting pitching, which I think they will. The bullpen has to evolve. It probably will be different by the all-star break than it is right now. They're going to have to figure out what works for them. But really, for them to make a move of any kind, they're going to need one of their one-year guys or short-term guys, Bellinger, Mancini, someone like that, to have a monster year. I don't know that it's going to happen. Hosmer would fit in this category as well. They'll need those guys to play above themselves, almost like you saw with the 2021 Giants, in which they had several surprising contributions. It's similar to that is what I'm talking about. Will it happen? I have no idea. But can they be sneaky dis- decent? Sure. If they're pitching holds up and they get those surprising efforts from some of their position players, no question, they can do that. All right, this one comes from Ounce. Ounce, I wish you'd give your big name, maybe it's official, Big Oz, I know people on Twitter don't like to use their names, but let's see it once in a while. All right, let's get to the question. Outside of the superstars of the game, who are some of your favorite players to watch? Now, I had to think about this one long and hard because a lot of my favorite players to watch are the superstars of the game. But I'm going to give you one that's going to probably make your eyes roll, and then I'll give you a couple others as well. The one that will make your eyes roll is Rugi Odor. Now, I've liked that guy ever since he came up. He gives his team energy. He's kind of an infectious player. I know his on-base percentage is horrible. I know he makes defensive mistakes. He is not, by any stretch of the imagination, what people would define as a good player. But he's kind of fun to watch. He always seems to be in the middle of the action. So I'm going to go with Rugi for that reason alone. Another guy I was just watching yesterday, and he is kind of a star at this point. He was an all-star last year, but he's not superstar quality just yet. Nestor Cortez Jr. Nestor Cortez Jr. in the pitch clock era is a perfect guy. He is in control of the tempo. He is doing what he wants. He mixes up deliveries. He mixes up pitches. He is just a fun pitcher to watch. And my third guy, and again, we're talking about not superstars. My third guy is someone that, is a little bit different. And he goes about it a little bit differently. I'm talking about Jock Peterson. Jock is a slugger, a left-handed slugger. He's not a guy that's getting long-term deals. He's going one year at a time, it seems. But I like watching his at-bats. And I just kind of like his vibe in general. Jock gives off. It's not carefree, but it's cool. It's California cool. So those are my three favorites as far as not being superstars, but I can go on and on and on about the others that I like to watch, and those would be some of the best players in the game. All right, with that, we close it out on fair territory for this week. We'll be back next week, next Monday as well. Remember, you can watch us on YouTube, and you can also listen on your favorite podcast network, however you get your podcasts. We'll see you guys next week. Hey, BetMGM has an MLB Bet 10 Bucks Win 200 Bucks offer for all Fair Territory fans in four easy steps. Sign up and deposit at least $10 into your newly created account. Then download the BetMGM Sportsbook app on iOS or Android. Place a pre-game Moneyline wager of at least $10 on any MLB team at standard odds price. You will then receive 200 bucks in bonus bets instantly. Just use the bonus code SPICYBALL200. S-P-I-C-Y-B-A-L-L-200. Always bet responsibly, gambling problem, or concern. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Step into the world of power,
1: loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChambaCasino.com.